Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Hey, 1 John chapter 3, if you have your Bibles or digital device, I started a sermon series last week. And again, 1 John's hard to find. It's almost at the end of your Bible, uh, the 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, right before the book of the Revelation. No, no shame in looking it up in front of your Bible. It's difficult to find. And so um, I started a sermon series last week entitled Love Life. And I'm not talking about what's going on between you and your spouse or any of that. We're talking about what God says to us about love because we're using the tagline, what's love got to do with it? Well, in the Christian life, love has everything to do with it. And so we're going to the book of John, uh, 1 John, and in 1 John, it mentions the word love the third most times of any book in the Bible, but it's the shortest book. Uh, the, the first book has 150 chapters, Psalms. Uh, the second book, Song of Solomon, has eight chapters, and it's a book on love. And then third, we find 1 John, which mentions the word love some 26 times in five short chapters. If there was one verse, I think all of 1 John would kind of hinge on. It would turn on this, on this uh, hinge. It would be 1 John 4, 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Love has everything to do with the Christian life. And so today I want to preach on this subject, you give love a bad name. Now, if you're a child of the 80s like me, understand this. I know I have used two 80s song references in this sermon series. Tina Turner and uh, John Bon Jovi. Just know this, I could do that every Sunday and I don't because I, I, I get some great theology in some of that, right? And so, um, but you give love a, a bad name. Last week we looked at Jesus loves me, here's how I know. This week, we're going to look at the most talked about subject in the book of John. Don't miss this. This week, this subject is talked about more than any other subject in the book of 1 John. And it's this, loving the family of God. Loving the brethren, as John often as a matter of fact, I'm not even preaching on these verses, but let me read to you how much John talks about loving the brethren. You don't have to turn there, just listen. 1 John 2, verse, verses 9 through 11. He who says that he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 1 John 3, 23, he says this, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. 1 John 4, 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 1 John 4, 11 says this, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And finally, chapter four, verse 20 and 21. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. 
For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. How can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. It is the most talked about subject in the book of 1 John. That is loving the family of God. This week we saw one of the most horrific situations in the school shooting in Florida. Police say an Uber car dropped off Nicholas Cruz at his former school around 2.19 on Wednesday. Within 10 minutes, authorities say he had gunned down 17 people at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School and left campus undetected in a crowd of students. After the Uber driver dropped him off, Cruz entered the school through the east stairwell around 2.21. He was carrying a a rifle inside a soft black case. At some point, Cruz activated the fire alarm and students say that confused them because they had already had a fire drill earlier in that day and crews began roaming the halls, targeting those huddled in classrooms on the first floor before going to the next floor. Some students texted goodbye to loved ones. Others posted social media images of chairs overturned in classrooms and floors stained with blood. Crews dropped off his rifle and backpack on the third floor before running out of the building and blending in with the rest of the evacuating crowd. He left the scene and went and bought a soda at Subway, then sat at McDonald's for a few minutes. About 40 minutes later, they saw him walking along the side of the road and arrested him. Our prayers go out to the victims and their families, but perhaps nothing in the world could paint a clearer picture of the exact opposite of what God intended for his family to be like. Because it's interesting that even in 1 John chapter 3 where we're going to read, God even discusses a murderer to paint a picture of the opposite lifestyle that we as the family of God ought to have. Now, hear this well this morning. God wants his children to love one another. Yes, he wants us to love the lost. Yes, he wants us to love those far from God. But a special bond ought to exist between the family of God, between the children of God, between the brothers and sisters in Christ who sit here. So today, listen carefully. We're not going to talk about the family of God way out there in the world somewhere. We're not going to talk about our brothers and sisters across the planet. We're talking about loving the people who are in the room where you're sitting right now. What does God say about that? Well, stand with me as we read our Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. And let's see what God says about it in 1 John 3, 10 through 18. Here's what he said. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who do not, does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And Why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And by the way, when you see the term brethren in there, it means the sister in two. It means the family of God. Verse 17. Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, 
but in deed and in truth. Thank you. You may be seated. Hey, let me walk you through that passage. There's so much in that passage. But let me walk you through that quickly and make some observations at the end that I think will help us. This passage is the passage where we can use to speak definitively on the subject of loving one another. So it begins in verse number 10. And John spoke in absolutes. Listen, there's no gray area we find in this passage. He offered no middle ground. He said a person either belongs to God or he belongs to the devil. Now that's always hard for us to hear, but it's always the truth that God has no middle ground. There is no place to go when you die but heaven or hell. There's no in between. And so John comes along in chapter 3, verse 10, and John speaks in these same absolutes. He says, you are either a child of God or you are a child of the devil. And he said, you can tell the difference between the two. How can you tell? Well, the way you tell the pretenders is whether or not they obey God's commands and whether or not they love other Christians. John says, it's easy to tell who's in the family. It's easy to tell who's not in the family. A person who does not do what is right is not a child of God. A person who does not love the brethren, the family of God, is not a child of God. There is no middle ground. And that's, that's hard to hear sometimes. Then you say, preacher, does that mean if I do anything wrong, I'm not a Christian? No, that's not what that verse means. But it's talking about those who habitually practice wrong are not a child of God. Those who, 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 as a matter of lifestyle, do not love the family of God is not a child of God. He goes on and begins to talk about it more. That kind of sets the tone for the next seven verses. He begins in verse number 11. He, he's trying to tell us, you've, you've heard this message from the beginning, that this is not a new message, that God said it, Jesus said it, as soon as he got here on earth, that we are to love all and specifically love other Christians. Verse number 11 tells us, now you have to understand who John was writing to. He was writing to first century believers and they were called an endangered species. See, since the Romans worshipped the Caesars as God, the Christians were considered atheists because they would not worship Caesar. And so the throne called for them to be exterminated. And so God, John is trying to tell them, hey, the only way you're going to survive in this world is if you have a deep abiding love for one another. And he goes on to give an example. He talks about Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's first two sons. And it came a time to go to a worship service and Abel offered a sacrifice that pleased God. But Cain's sacrifice was unacceptable. Cain brought grains and fruit uh, for his offering while Abel brought an animal, a, a blood sacrifice uh, for his offering. And in the Bible's plain, Abel's sacrifice was more acceptable to, to God. Not just because of what he offered, but because of the attitude in which he offered it. And Cain's sacrifice was rejected. And so God gave Cain an opportunity to right his wrong and try again. God even encouraged him to do so. But Cain refused. And jealousy and anger drove him to murder his brother. Why did he murder his brother? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was right. John's point in verse number 11 is an interesting one. Don't miss this. He did not, he, Cain did not become a child of the devil because he murdered his brother. John is telling us that, Chain, that Cain murdered his brother because he was a child of the devil. And John wanted his readers to understand the results of refusing to love one another. 
The, the natural progression of that is anger, jealousy, hatred, and even perhaps murder. And then in verse number, three, 13, verse number 13, he, he, he switches and he, he talks about, hey, don't be amazed at the, if the world hates you, that their reaction to Christianity is not going to be a good reaction. In verse 14, man, it's an amazing verse. It's a beautiful picture of salvation. He, it's the first time in the Bible this phrase has ever been used, that we know that we have passed from death unto life. Metababikin in the Greek, actually. It means to move from one location to another. What a great picture of salvation. That we have been moved from darkness into light. We have been moved from the enemy, the devil, over to Christ. We have been moved from uh, uh, hell up to heaven. We have been moved from our sin over to righteousness. We have been moved from not being saved to being a child of God. It's the perfect picture. And then he goes on to say that there's no way that a person who does not love his brother can be a Christian. And whoever hates his brother is a murderer and has eternal life, does not have eternal life abiding in him. And so, he begins to go on in verse number 16. And since love is a true test of true Christianity, he wants you to know what true Christianity is. And we, we talked about this verse last week, so I, I won't spend any time there. But he, he describes love. Love is laying down your life for others the way Jesus did for us. And then verse 17, he elaborates. The perfect example of Jesus is contrasted with the example of someone who falsely claims to follow the Lord. Listen to this. The writer condemns those who claim to be ready to die for a brother in an emergency, yet refuses to show practical love. So here's what he says. Those who have the world's goods. The word, word good is interesting. It comes from the Greek word bios, where we get words like biology. and It sort of referred to animal life in its early usage, but it began to describe the physical possessions necessary to sustain life. So he said, for those of you who have the world's goods, you have uh, the ability to meet other needs, and you see your brother in need. means in the present tense, it means you continually see a need. And if you close your heart from a brother in need, John said anyone who fits all three of these descriptions has failed the test of love. You cannot be a child of God. And he sums up the matter in verse 18. How do you avoid such hypocrisy? And he said... Well, love can't just be words you say. Love has to be things you do. And so these verses explain how important it is to love one another, the family of God, the brethren. The people who are sitting around you right now, the people who will be here at uh, any church service we have at Pevine, those who walk through our doors, those who walk through the Rossville campus doors or wherever they may be, God has given us a mandate that we are to love the family 
of God. It's the most talked about subject in the book of 1 John. So can I just take those nine verses and can I sum them up in three statements? I think that will help us this morning. Number one is this. Number one, here's what he's saying. If you ain't doing it, you ain't got it. If you ain't doing it, you ain't got it. Now, I know it's not great English, but you'll remember it better if I use bad English. If you ain't doing it, you ain't got it. I don't know if anywhere in the Bible this could be stated more plainly than in the book of 1 John. Listen to some of the statements he makes. I paraphrase them. If you don't love the brethren, you're not a child of God. We know that we have been saved if we love the brethren. If you hate the, bre- the family of God, you cannot be saved. 1 John 2.11 says, he who hates his brother is in darkness. 1 John 4.20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. John is driving home one very real point. It's this, if you aren't loving the brethren of God, if you're not loving the family of God, listen, you are not a child of God. You are not a believer. You are not born again. You are not saved. You are not going to heaven. It could not be more plain. If you ain't doing it, you ain't got it. How could John, how could God be so definitive in that statement? How could John ignore everything else we do in the Christian life? How could John ignore all of the good we do and say this one statement? That if you don't love the family of God, you're not a Christian. I mean, that's some weighty words, right? Like, that's that's hard to hear. But wait, God. Wait. Wait. I give money in the offering plate. Don't care. But wait, God. I teach a Sunday school class. Doesn't matter. But wait, God. I sing in the choir. Doesn't matter. God, I've been in church for 30 years. doesn't matter. If you do not love the family of God, you cannot be a Christian. So how can he be so definitive in that statement? Because God has so designed the Christian life that when you are born into the family of God, get this, a love For the family is birthed in your heart as well. The Spirit of God does that. That the moment of your salvation, the Spirit of God comes to live within you. And a a love for the family of God is birthed in there. That's why you can go overnight from hating the church to loving the church. The church didn't do anything. But the moment you get saved, the Spirit of God births a love for God's family in your heart and if you aren't loving the family of God there could only be one reason and that's because you are not part of the family of God love for the family of God is not is part of the package if you didn't get the love you didn't get the package you ever been to like a an amusement park maybe concerts do this sometimes sporting events do this events you'll go up to pay to get into the amusement park, for example. You'll go up to pay, and you go to one window, and you give your money there, and uh, you pay their money, and they don't give you a ticket. Here's what they do. You see them stamp your hand with that little, that little glow-in-the-dark thing they put on your hand? And it's a little stamp, and, and you know, back before you knew what they were doing, you'd be like, hey, I, I didn't, it didn't stick. And they're like, oh, it, it'll stick. You've got to shine it under that black light. And so you pay your money, they stamp your hand, you go to get in the music part, and there's a lot that you pass your hand under. And sure enough, when you pass your hand under that lot, that image that they stamped on uh, your hand, it glows, and they see it, and it lets you through. See, the reason they know you have paid the price is because you have that stamp. 
If you walk up to them and you say, uh, well, I paid, but, uh, but I just didn't get a stamp. They say, no, no, you didn't pay. Because everybody that pays gets that stamp on their hand. That's how we know you've paid. Is you have that stamp, it says Monday or Tuesday or whatever it says on it. Because we know that when you pay the price, the stamp is part of the package. And that's what John is saying about being a Christian. John is saying, listen, here's how you know you're saved. Because when you get saved, you get that stamp on your heart that says, you love the family of God. And here's how you know you're saved. You love the family. So you've got to stop and ask yourself, do you love the family of God? Can you look around this room, Russell? Can you look around that room? And can you say, I love this family? See, that's the sign. So many of us want a sign from heaven when we get saved, right? Like we want God to write it on a stone and drop it in, in our front yard and say, you are a believer. He did. He did. That, that rock that drops from heaven that tells you you're saved for sure is a love for the family of God. John was just plain. If you ain't doing it, you ain't got it. Let me tell you the second thing this tells us. Bear with me on this, okay? So this is going to sound a little weird. Bear with me. The crazy cousins count as family. (laughs) You with me? Crazy cousins count as family. To explain how to love the family of God, John uses an example from the first family, Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel because he was jealous of Abel's righteousness. And and listen, Cain was completely 100% in the wrong. He should have been proud of Abel. But he had a hard time loving his brother. Here's where I got the title, You Give Love a bad name. Cain gave love a bad name. So here's what I want you to know. Loving the family of God means loving the crazy cousins and the weird uncles too. Can I say this? Not everyone in the family of God is going to be easy for you to love. All right, you say amen right there. It's okay. Right? Not everybody's going to be easy for you to love. If you're in the family of God, listen, some people in this room are going to be hard for love. because We got them all in our own family, right? Like, like you, you've got people in your family that you don't want to admit it, but at the family reunion, they're not your favorites, right? They're hard to love. You got a crazy cousin or two. But here's the deal. Crazy cousins and weird uncles are in the family of God, too. And the command isn't to just love the lovable. It is to love the entire family of God. Hey, I don't, I don't come up with a lot of original statements, right? I beg, borrow, and steal from everywhere I can get. But here's something that's not very profound, but remember it. It's easy to love the easy to love, Right? See, we all can love the easy to love. I'm easy to love, right? I'm adorable. I'm easy to love. It's easy to love the easy to love. We all can love the easy to love. Low-maintenance friends don't cause us any trouble, are kind to us. Remember our birthdays. Remember our anniversaries. When we're down, they're there to pick us up. When we're up, they're there to say, look, everybody can love that guy. 
But God just didn't call us to love the easy to love. The mark of a Christian is being able to love the whole family of God. And that includes the crazy cousins too. So here's the deal. Cain had a hard time loving Abel. I don't know why. We, I mean, we know he's jealous of his brother, but look, there were some deep-rooted things going on there long before that happened. But loving the family of God means loving everybody in the family of God. If everybody was lovable, God wouldn't need to tell us that. It's kind of like trying to eat healthy, right? How do you know if a food is healthy or not? Does anybody know? Tastes bad, right? It tastes bad. It's simple. It's not even a hard test. Here's the deal. If healthy food tasted like Doritos and chocolate, who wouldn't be in good shape, right? Right? Like, I got this. If a bag of Doritos put washboard abs on me, baby, I got it. I am in shape. If a can of Pringles makes your heart arteries unclog, then I am the healthiest individual alive. It doesn't work that way. All that food you like to eat, all that food that tastes good, can I tell you something? It's unhealthy. I don't even know what it is. I just know if it tastes good, it's, not, it's unhealthy. Right? You eating quinoa? I know it's healthy. It tastes like dirt. <laughs> right? I get it. But if eating healthy was like eating Doritos, we'd all be in shape. Right? But every now and then you've got to slip some green beans into the diet. Every now and then you got to stick some broccoli in your mouth. Every now and then you got to eat something lettuce that's not drenched in a thousand calories, which is my problem. I need lettuce just fine. I just need to bathe it in something. Right? Because being a healthy individual means I've got to uh, I got to eat some of the foods I don't even like. Being a healthy Christian means you're going to have to love some other believers who aren't so lovable. Not every family member is going to be like, hey, look this way. Everybody look this way. Hey, can we, can we be honest about some stuff here? Don't let me lose your attention. Look this way. Some people you have to love are going to be rude. They're going to be broken. They're going to be prideful. They're going to be ornery. They're going to be quick-tempered. They're going to be cantankerous. They're going to be discouraged. Some of them may not even like you. Some of them are selfish. Some of them are me people. When you sit down and talk to them, all they can talk about is me. Listen, some of them are even going to be Tennessee fans. I know. I know. Here's the deal. You've got to love everybody in the family of God. You have to love the crazy cousins, and if you don't know any crazy cousins, it's you. If you say, preach everybody, my life is normal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just look in the mirror, buddy. Hate is not a problem for the hated. It's a problem of the hater. Jesus didn't say, don't be hated. Though that would have been a great word. Jesus said, don't be a hater. See, here's what you, got, you need to do. Some, some of you, you know, there, there's, there's people in your life, believers in Jesus. We're talking about the family of God. There are people, maybe in this building, that you just have a hard time with. You know what you need to do? You need to pick them out special and love on them. 
I'm not saying you don't love on the lovable. Love on the lovable. Sometimes you got to love on the unlovable too. Leads me to the third thing, and that's this. Don't tell me what you're going to do. Tell me what you've done. See, that's what verse 18 closes with us and tells us. Verse 18 closes with this. He said, here's what John said. John says, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, fine, preacher. I love them. How's that? Right? All right, preacher. I love the crazy cousin. I got it over with. I said it. Let's move on. And John saw you coming in verse number 18. John saw it because that's what we like to do. We like to say, well, I just love everybody. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't love everybody. You, you might say you love everybody, but John said in verse number 18, saying you love everybody and loving them are two totally different things. So look back at verse number 18 in your Bible. Here's what he said. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. See, I want to be honest. Just close your Bibles. Let me preach for two or three minutes. Look right this way at me. Just give me eye contact the whole time. Look right this way. It's real easy to love with our words. Man, I can't tell you how many times I've done marriage counseling. Husband's sitting in front of me and a husband says, uh, Preacher, she knows I love her. Well, how does she know you love her? Well, I tell her once a week. At bed. I'm all the time, once a week. I bet I've said it 20 times in the last two years, I love her. Okay, well, number one, that's not enough. And number two, that doesn't count. Right? It's not about what you say. John said anybody can say I love you. Anybody can say they love. What you say is not really what matters. It's important to say it. As a matter of fact, most translations say this. Don't merely love with words. Like you need to say it with your words, but that's not enough. When you tell someone I love you, you are telling them what you are planning on doing because love is a verb. And when you say I love you, it's, it's, it's an emotional expression of an intended action. Well, that, that was good. Because when you say I love you, it's what you plan on doing. It's not what you've done. When you tell someone I love you, you're telling them what you plan on doing, but your actions are the true expression of your love. William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. William Booth was famous because he once sent a one-word telegraph to all of the Salvation Army officers. And the one word was this word. It was the word love. Uh, the word others. Excuse me. The word others. Just one word. Others. And they built their whole ministry on others. The Salvation Ar Army officers were known for their unselfish commitment to others. They proved it on May 29, 1914. The Empress of Ireland sank in the ocean with 130 Salvation Army officers on board. 109 of those officers drowned. Not one body that was picked up out of the ocean had a life vest on. The few survivors talked about what those Salvation Army officers did. Most of them were wearing a life preserver when the ship started to sink. And they took off their own belts and strapped those belts even on strong men. And here's what they were heard saying to those men. I can die better than you can. I can die better than you can.
And they stood on the deck of the ship. And as the ship went down, they were heard saying that one word, others, others. It was an expression of love in their actions. I'm not asking you to die for someone today, but live for them and show them you love them. Hey, let me ask you, who in the family of God do you say you love? We love to say we love each other. We mean it when we say it, but it's not the words of our mouth. It's, let me ask you this, who do you show you love them? Those two ought to match up and it ought to find a recipient in the room you're sitting. See, there's some of you here today and you have... You need to let go of some bitterness, some bad feelings, some hatred, some spite towards others. See, a church will never be all it ought to be until you let go of any of that bitterness and spite and, can I say, hatred you have in your heart towards people that may even be in this church, the family of God. You say, well, preacher, you don't know what they, they've done? I don't, I don't know. I'm sure it was terrible. But can I remind you, it's easy to love the easy to love. We're, I'm not even preaching this day. So many places in the Bible I could have went to, but remember, God told us to love our enemies. Now, nobody in this room should be your enemy, but he was trying to make a point. There are people in this room that, people who are watching that honestly, you're walking around with some anger, some bitterness. You, you wouldn't call it hatred because you know that's a bad word, but you, it's still true. The church will never be what a church ought to be as long as that's happening in our midst. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this, by this, they, they, who's they? Those around the world, those who are not believers, those who don't know Christ, by this, they'll know you're my disciples. I can love the lovable but when the world sees us loving the crazy cousins in their heart something says there's something to this Jesus thing because if they can love that guy they can love that gal that's got to be from heaven some of you need to put feet on those on, on those words because if you see needs around you, listen. The Bible does not command the church as, a, as an organization to meet the needs of the people in the body. The, church com, the Bible commands the body to meet the needs of the body. That if you see a brother or sister or someone in the family who has a need you, and you can help, you help. Hey, let's not give love a bad name. The fact is, if you're, if you're not doing it, you don't have it, it's time to get it today. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Whether you're at this campus or the Rossville campus, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask you to examine your own heart just now because uh, you need to know, are you in the family of God? Uh, there's some of you that your default thought about a family member it's not love you can picture his mind her mind right now 
That needs to change. It could be that you don't have the Spirit of God within your heart. That's the sign from heaven that God gave us. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian or God's beginning to work on your heart, today's the day to take care of that. In just a moment, we're going to stand, we'll sing, and we'll, we'll listen to a song. If you want to trust Jesus as your Savior today, I'm going to invite you to come down. Come down, take me or one of these staff members by the hand and say, I want to become a Christian. You're here today, and listen, this is a hard invitation. I know it is, but don't leave this building without doing business with God. You're here today, and you need to let go of some bitterness in your life. Remember, bitterness is like you drinking poison, hoping someone else dies. Oh, it's not going to happen. You need to let go of some of that. You need to let go of some anger. You need to let go. Listen, today find your way to this altar and say, Dear God, I canceled that debt Those they owe me. I want to love them. I want to love somebody that's hard for me to love, and I want to be like Jesus. You need to come to the altar and pray that prayer. You want to join our church? You want to move your membership here? You need to be baptized. You come tell us that during this invitation. This is your invitation. And Father, here's my prayer today, that you would draw us with your spirit as you've spoken name I pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you stand with me? We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.